0: we we uh, we just sang about how much God loves us, and uh, this morning I want to talk to you about how much do you love God? Do you love God with your whole heart? Because I believe that is what we are called to do in Scripture. Um, I've been on staff here since 2008, and Nathan's been on staff about the same time, and really. Uh, It it is remarkable, the tenure of our staff, uh, in in that all of us have have been here and working together for quite some time. Um, Several years ago, um, Nathan, there was this time in his life. Nathan's our next-gen pastor, by the way. If you've not met him, you need to get to know him. Um, But there was this time in Nathan's life where um, we'd be working on a project together, And um, maybe we were looking at a graphic that we were going to use for a kid series or student ministry series. Or uh, maybe we were looking at a video that we wanted to use as an illustration. Or uh, there were times we would be um, uh, eating lunch and Nathan would say, Jeremy, do you love it? And I was like, yeah. He was like, say you love it. And I was like, I love it. He was like, Jeremy, do you love it with your whole heart? I was like, yeah. He was like, say you love it with your whole heart. And I was like, I love it with my whole heart. And uh, I mean, every conversation we had, everything we were doing, we had this conversation. Do you love it? Yeah. Do you love it with your whole heart? Yeah. Say it. And um, uh, it got to the point where I couldn't eat a hot dog without telling Nathan how much I loved the doggone hot dog, right? Um, And I don't know what power Nathan thought he had over me to make me recite these words back to him, and I really don't know what kind of power I thought he had to make me do that. But finally, I started doing this. Every time we were looking at something or having lunch or listening to a video or watching something, I would say, man, I love that with my whole heart. And it just became a phrase that I said on a regular basis. One of the things that I love with my whole heart about what I do is getting to have a front row seat to watch God at work in the lives of the people in His church. And really, all of us have, as pastors have the privilege of watching people come to Christ and begin their faith journey. And sometimes it's people who we're a part of a, a, a different denomination. And sometimes it's people who come to know Christ, they hear and respond to the gospel for the very first time. It is incre- it's an incredible privilege to get to watch God at work in the lives of his people. We love stories, don't we? We love to hear people's stories. That really is one of the things I love about watching American Idol. And I don't, I don't watch the whole season. In fact, um, I love the auditions because in the auditions, first of all, you can see some pretty crazy stuff, right? Uh, some, you know, some, some people think they can sing. Hey, and really, can I tell you the key to being able to sing? If you turn the radio up louder than you're singing, right, you sound really good. And, uh, but uh, the, uh, watching these auditions uh, and hearing the stories, and there was the guy who won this year, um, his name was Iam e. Tongi and really he had a remarkable story. There was evidence uh, in his audition that he had an awesome relationship with his dad, and his dad's life had impacted his life, and not everybody has that type of relationship with their parent, but I love watching that video and seeing his stories. There are incredible stories uh, like this throughout Scripture. When you look at the life of Stephen, and Stephen was appointed by the apostles to be a deacon in, in, the, uh, in the first church, and um, Stephen proclaimed the gospel, and as he was proclaiming the gospel, uh, people got upset. Just like they got upset with Jesus, they got upset with uh, the people who were proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and they took Stephen out and stoned him. In the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 6 and 7, um, where it tells the story of Stephen being stoned, verse 60 um, of chapter 7 says, "'He knelt down and cried with a loud voice.'" Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. What would cause someone to cry out to God in the face of his murderers? God, don't hold this to their account. In other words, God forgive them for what they're doing. It was his great love for, uh, for God and his desire to see others come to know Christ. I had the privilege of attending our very first Celebrate recovery step study graduation we had 11 people who had gone through the celebrate recovery step study and each of them gave a brief testimony of how God had used that program in their lives and in fact each one of them talked about a different portion of this 12 uh, the 12-step program that really ministered to them and to be quite honest with you I was a little bit blown away at how God had used this program that we just launched in March to make such a difference in the lives of his people. Because it was a group of people who had great love for God, who understood that God had great love for them, who were seeking restoration and wholeness, and God delivered it to them through this program. Their testimony was evidence of God's work In our in their lives. Hey, we're all at different places spiritually. There there are some of us who are brand new Christians. We're brand new to the Christian faith. And we're learning things and we're soaking things in, and we want to become obedient to what God has called us to do. There are some who are stale. Like you've you've been a Christian for a long time and, and and just your relationship with Jesus has become rote, and you're going through the motions, and you're a little bit stale. The, in, in, in our, the scripture we're going to look at this morning, there were a group of people who when Jesus came on the scene, they were too stuck in their religious system to get out of the way and hear from the very Son of God. That's what prompted the conversation we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31, it says this. What I do? One of the scribes approached when he had heard him debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There were 613 individual laws that were part of the Jewish religious system. There were 365 of them that were positive laws, and 248 of the laws were negative. The, the, the religious leaders were constantly trying to consolidate or compartmentalize these laws to make it a little easier to follow. They, they, they said they wanted to, to come up with which ones were the most important and which ones were less important. And so they came to Jesus asking him the question, which is the greatest command? And part of the reason they were asking that question is uh, they had it out for Jesus, and they wanted to catch him in something that they could um, they could try him for, to send him to the cross. But also, they were wondering, is there a, a greater commandment, uh, the, one that's greater... Uh, than another one. Jesus couldn't have given a more accurate, more succinct answer. When we love God with all that we are, our obedience is evidence of that love. The same question is recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, uh, Matthew recorded something a little bit different when he recorded Jesus saying, "'On this hang all the law and prophets.'" And Jesus wasn't saying when he delivered the answer to this religious leader, he wasn't saying to him, hey, I'm consolidating everything into this one thing because the law is still important. The Ten Commandments were still important. What they were supposed to do is still important. What we're supposed to do as we read Scripture is still very important. What Jesus was saying is when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind, with all your strength, then your obedience to what God's Word tells us to do will be a natural outpouring um, of your love for God. In fact, Jesus, when He delivers this answer, is quoting the Shema. You find the Shema in, in Deuteronomy. I hope I'm saying that right. Shema. It's kind of a fun word. You find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Jewish people would recite this throughout the day. It was a part of their worship, it became such a part of who they are. In fact, Uh, uh, the same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Literally, they were to say these words when they got up, when they sat down, when they took a nap, when they went to bed, um, as they were walking, as they were interacting with each other. um, They were to write them on their doorposts. They were to wear these words on their body, and they were to write them on their gates. Also, they were to teach them to their children. Reciting the Shema, impacted every area of their life. They walked differently. They talked differently. They interacted with each other differently. Their marriages were better. They took the commands of God more seriously. Their kids grew up to know God and what God wanted for them. It made them different. As we look at this passage in the book of Mark, Jesus doesn't, say, doesn't just say the greatest command is to love God. He says the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind, to love God with all your strength. And so how do we do that? How do we love God with all that we are this morning? I want us to look at some practical ways we can live out the truth of this passage Every day in our lives, the first thing he says is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus' death hadn't, uh, hadn't, uh, hadn't happened yet, and, uh, but everything that was happening was leading up to that. His interactions with the religious people, um, all of these events were leading up to and pointing to his death and what it meant for the entire world. Loving God with your, Jesus' death brought about the way for man to enter into a personal relationship with Christ. Loving God with your whole heart means that you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel story starts way back in Genesis 3. You know the story when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God by eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ever since then, we've all been born with a sin nature. No one had to teach us how to sin. At least no one taught my kids how to sin. They just came out a little bit acting like their mama, uh, but, but mostly uh, there was, uh, I'll pay for that, uh, but mostly, uh, I mean, you know, no one had to teach them how to sin. All of, all of our six kids, um, a little bit bear a resemblance to I. Some of them look like us, some of them act like us, They have mannerisms like us. In the same way, we've got the mannerisms of Adam in that we're all sinners, right? The Bible tells us that in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned. We've got to be willing to admit that we've got a problem with sin. And the truth is, often we want to fix the problem we have with sin. We want to come up with our own solutions, and there are things that we, can, uh, that we think we can do. But the truth is, we need to surrender our hearts and our lives to Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you get when you go to work is called your wage. What you get for your sin is death, separation from God forever. And we can see how that began in the Garden of Eden when God went to Adam after they had sinned. And Adam didn't want anything to do with God. He avoided God. That relationship was hindered by Adam's sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but God proves his love for us, and that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God wasn't satisfied with that separation. We were created for a relationship with God, and so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and in doing that, he closed the separation created by our sin and gives us an opportunity to to have once again a relationship with him. We've got to admit that we're sinners. We've got to believe the gospel message that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And then according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness righteousness. And one confesses with a mouth, resulting in salvation. Up to this point, all the love has been from God. When we're willing to admit that we're sinners and we believe what Jesus has done on the cross, then we surrender our hearts and lives to Him. It's the first and most important part of our obedience to the command of God. You can't love God with all your heart if you haven't responded to the gospel and accepted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. The second thing he says is, Love the Lord your God with all your soul and mind. uh, The practice of reciting the Shema was so important because what it did in the life of the Jew is it ingrained in them who God was. In fact, the Shema communicated the denial of any other god. God. Throughout the day, it caused the truth of what they were writing, uh, reciting to be imprinted on their minds and souls. It caused them to love God with all their soul and their mind. When you think about the attributes of God, man, we think about the goodness of God. We think about God's grace. We think about his mercy. We think about his faithfulness, his compassion, and truly all of those are the attributes of, of God. But there's some other attributes of God's love that we Don't necessarily always like to think about his holiness his justice his jealousy and his wrath All of these attributes of the love of god are interconnected When we understand god's holy holiness, it causes us to want to live out holiness in our own lives Understanding that god is a jealous god causes us to have a desire not to put anything in our lives before god When we understand God's wrath and His justice, it should ignite a passion in our souls to share the gospel and to reach people for the cause of Christ. There are some ways that we can love God with our hearts and minds and live out the evidence um, that we're doing that. Uh, There are three things I want to share with you, and you may think these things are basic, and really they are quite basic, but I'm always surprised as I have conversations with people, um, the number of people who struggle really with these three basic things. Number one, spend time reading and meditating on God's Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light in my path. We must read and meditate on God's Word. When we do that, and we believe that this book is God's word without any mixture of error and it is the authority for faith and practice in our life. When we understand and accept that, then we read it and we know it and we obey it and it impacts every area of our life. We must accept the authority of God's word. Man, I have loved Pastor Joel's sermon series on First Peter. Have you enjoyed that? One of the things I've really loved, I mean, you you wish he was doing it again today, don't you? One of the things I have loved about that sermon series is this. Um, It's not all gloom and doom. I mean, the obvious truth is culture is out to get us as followers of Jesus. But there is hope for us as believers to impact culture if if we'll just simply be obedient to what God has called us us to do. You know what I think the biggest problem with culture is today? I don't think it's that the world has abandoned Christian ideals. I think it's that the church has decided how we want to live our lives, and so we take God's word and we try to mold it around the culture that we personally want to live. And we need to get back to understanding the truth of God's word and being obedient to what God has called us to do. You can't do that without spending time in God's Word. In order to know His commands, you must be in His Word. You can't obey what you don't know. You can't love God without spending time in His Word. The next thing is spending time in prayer. Simply put, you don't love somebody if you don't talk to them, right? If you don't spend time in conversation with people, then, uh, then you don't love them. Prayer isn't just telling God everything you need. Prayer is aligning your heart with the heart of God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and we know that he hears whatever we ask. We know we have what we have asked of him. And what he's saying there is when we bring our requests to God, we align our hearts with the heart of God, what we ask for becomes different based on how God is working in our lives. Reciting the Shema aligned the Jew's heart with the heart of God. When we pray, we're declaring who God is and His ownership of everything that we are. Praying does this, it aligns our hearts with the heart of God when we praise Him for who He is. It provides a time of confession so we can rid ourselves of the guilt and the shame of the sins we've committed. You know what I think? I think this is where Satan gets a lot of us. I I think he gets us trapped because we know that 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the truth is, we listen to the enemy who reminds us of who we used to be. And we can't move forward in our relationship with God because we're stuck back here. And we allow the enemy to paralyze us in our growth, in our relationship with Jesus. And you know what has the power to change that in our lives? The gospel. Can I tell you this, though? As I was at the Celebrate Recovery graduation, man, I thought about this thing and the guilt and shame of our past and how it casts a shadow uh, over our lives. And sometimes the gospel is enough, but sometimes we need help untangling some of these things. What a great program that is to move us forward in our relationship with God. Next, it gives us a time to thank him, not only for who he is, but for all that he's done in our lives. Do you thank God for his work in your life? It allows us time to bring requests to him, knowing that he'll hear and answer our prayer according to his plan for our lives. You can't love God and not be spending time in prayer with him. Next, go to church. You're like, hey, Jeremy, Like, you know who you're talking to, right? We're here. Chill out. The truth is, as a culture, we have defined what regular and faithful church attendance is. Statistics. Sti- this may have changed. The statistic, not my stutter. But statistically... Um last I heard it was a, a person considered themselves faithful in church attendance if they came 1.7 times a month. And listen, I know we're busy. I know we've got a lot going on. But when you prioritize something over your time in church, you're making a mistake. And you say uh, Jeremy at least I'm coming. Man, read, read the book of Acts chapter 2 when the early church was started and how often they got together and how often they fellowship. Here's what going to church does for you. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting together together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day of approaching. You can't say you love God and not be in His house. You know what Jesus died for? The church. You know what Jesus loves? The church. You know where you grow under the preaching of God's word? The church. The passage in Hebrews says, When we're faithful, gathering as believers, we're provoked to love and good, good works from the preaching of God's word. We take preaching seriously, we understand. Um, that people are in the room who need to hear from God. There are people in the room that you've invited who may not have a relationship with Jesus. We're encouraged by each other through fellowship. I talked about people's stories this morning as I was uh, opening up, and people's stories are powerful. And when we fellowship with each other and we share our stories with each other, it impacts us. You may have a son or daughter or a family member who's away from God that you've been praying for for a long time and someone else is going through the same thing and you have an opportunity to share with them and be encouraged um, by them. I can't tell you the numbers of times when I baptize someone or Nathan baptized someone or Justin, whoever's baptizing, we baptize someone and, and someone out in, 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 the, in, in the pew or the chair, they see that person get baptized, and they know they, their story, and they come to me and say, hey, I, I know uh, what God did in their lives, and I've been putting this off, or I've been struggling with this decision. They're encouraged to take that next step in their lives. We're encouraged by, uh, 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 by others through fellowship. You can't say you love God and not regularly be in his house. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Here's how Paul explained it in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ, from him the body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual parts. I'm the connections pastor. You knew I was going to get this in my sermon somehow, didn't you? When we love God with all our strength, we do the work of ministry according to verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Loving God with our strength leads to spiritual maturity, verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Loving God with our strength connects us together as believers in a way we wouldn't otherwise be connected. It says fitted together and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. I'm going to mention Celebrate Recovery one more time. You know, you know one of the things Celebrate Recovery teaches, and, and they say it just like this, if you ain't serving, you ain't recovering. If you ain't serving, you're not living out your love for God. Serving is not... Don't serve because we need you, although that's plenty good enough reason. Serve because you want to follow God's plan for your life. Dude, we have some of the best volunteers at this church. We just went through VBX, which is our most evangelistic event of the year for kids And um, we had it at our Rossville campus, at our Dalton campus, and right here at our Rock Spring campus, we had more than 350 volunteers who sacrificed their week to serve for the sake of the gospel and the lives of children. That's incredible. I mean, really, that is remarkable. We have people serving behind the scenes this morning that you'll never uh, get to see, Like, you don't even know what their job is. And uh, we're thankful for every single volunteer that we have. There are all kinds of excuses, though. They feel like legitimate reasons why we shouldn't serve. Do you remember Moses' story in the Bible? He gave God all those excuses. God called him to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. He gave God all the excuses. God, I'm inadequate. People won't take me seriously. He said he didn't know enough. He said, I'm not good with words. And then finally, when he was out excuses and God said, hey, all those excuses you're giving me, you can do it because I'm going to give you signs and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to work through you. I just need you to be willing. Moses finally said, hey, can you get somebody else? I just really don't want to do it. And sometimes we come to that same place in our lives. Can I be honest with you? When I prepare to preach... On a Sunday morning, Satan whispers all those excuses in my ear. He does it to you, to our faithfulness by loving God with our strength. Our obedience by loving God with our strength is so important. You can't love God with all your strength if you aren't serving his bride, the one he gave his life for. We love God with all our hearts when we love Him exclusively. We can't do that without a personal relationship with Him through the gospel that begins at the foot of the cross. We love God with all our soul and mind when we find our satisfaction in Him through spending time in the Word and prayer. We love God with all our strength by serving, according to Ephesians 4. It builds up the body and produces spiritual maturity. In our lives, do you love Him with your whole heart? It's okay to say it, but it's better when you demonstrate it through your obedience to what God has called you to do. Do the people you work with know you love God? Do the people in your neighborhood know you love God? How about the people you live with in your home? Do they know that you love Him? Are you living out a life of obedience to the things God has called us in Scripture to do? If you're watching online
1: this morning, Pastor Justin has a word for you. Hey, we've just heard a fantastic word from Pastor Jeremy uh, from believers, for believers I think the response is clear and obvious. If we're to love the Lord with everything that we have I can guarantee you that each of us can find something in our life that we can start doing or something in our life that we can stop doing in order to love God more appropriately. But you may, as you listen to the sermon this morning, uh, come to realize for the first time that you've not seen a definitive moment in your life in which you've placed your faith in Jesus to be saved. Bible tells us that when we're not in Christ, that we're actually enemies of God, that we oppose God, and that we're awaiting His punishment. So before we can begin to love God the way He's called us to, we need to understand the gospel. So if that's you this morning, I just want to share briefly what the gospel is and how we can respond to it. The gospel is very clear that we've all sinned, that none of us are perfect, and that each of us have failed. We've missed the mark. At reaching God's standard of perfection. Not only has that <clears throat> failing to reach that separated us from God for all of eternity, it also means that we've incurred a penalty. And whether we like that penalty or whether we agree with it, it's our penalty. Now, that's a lot of bad news. But we understand the gospel, literally in itself, is good news. Now, this morning, apart from Christ and, and, and trying to love, God, apart from a relationship with Christ, the Bible's clear that you're hopeless. But it's also clear that you're not helpless because God didn't want to leave you in your helpless state. The good news of the gospel is that God sent His Son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die in your place, to take on your penalty as a substitute. Now, our response to that good news to believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He rose again three days have faith in that and to confess Jesus as Lord. That's our response to the gospel, and that's how we're saved. And that's the good news of how we move out of, how we move away from being an enemy of God into being a child of God, so we can love God in response to his love for us. Now, the Bible talks about believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. I'd like to lead you in a sinner's prayer. and You can pray in your own words, or you can repeat after me. But it's pretty clear that there's no magic in the words that we say, but that if the words are a reflection of our heart, if we believe what we're confessing, that anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, a prayer for salvation may sound something like this. Lord Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm forever separated from you. And I understand that I'm a heartbeat away from spending an eternity punished in a real place called hell but I'm believing and trusting this morning that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins and I'm putting all of my faith in Jesus I'm asking you to come into my heart into my life and to save me today now if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time and believed it with all your heart we'd like to say welcome to the family we've just dropped a link in the chat box and we'd like to reach out to you this week and connect personally about next steps it's been a wonderful time of worship together this morning pray that you'd be blessed this week and we'll see you again